Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging. Hey everyone, and welcome to Raising Parents, the Parenting Science Insights podcast, produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions of life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week, we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. I'm your host, Dina Sargent. Now, let's get started. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode. We're here today to talk about mindful parenting and how we raise our children to be better role models. To help us on this journey today, we have Dr. Bob Saul. Thank you so much for joining us today. How are you going? Oh, I'm fine. It's a really, it's a pleasure to be here today. Thank you. That's amazing. Um, Can you tell the audience a little bit about yourself and what you sort of focus on? Well, I grew up in the, I grew up in Chicago, Illinois, in that area, ended up going to college, medical school did training in pediatrics, did training in medical genetics, uh, and after 44 years, recently retired. Uh, but over that period of time, I, and we're going to be talking about that, over that period of time, I got very interested, a lot more interested in how to be an effective parent, how to communicate that as a professional, how to improve myself, and how to help other families do that. Well, that's, that's pretty incredible. Um, do you mind telling us a bit like why you sort of wanted to focus in this area? Well, after, I must admit, after 14 years in practice, I felt like I wasn't paying back to the community like I should. And I went and heard a talk from somebody that said 12 words that had a profound impact on me ever since. And he emphasized for anything that happens in your community, I am the problem. I am the solution. I am the resource. Now, I must admit, it took me a while to internalize that. How am I going to do that? What am I What am I supposed to do? But I realized what he was telling me is it can't be just their problem if I want to make a difference in the community. It has to be my problem. And I have to be part of the solution. And I need to devote my resources to it. But then in 1999, in Littleton, Colorado, third two high schoolers went into a high school, massacred 13 people and killed themselves. We know that as the Columbine High School massacre. And I said to myself, could that happen in my community? And the answer was yes. I asked myself, have I done enough to make a difference? And the answer was no. So I there got involved in what it means to be a good citizen. And as I was looking at how to improve our community by being a good, good citizen, I realized that's essentially what I'm, what I'm thinking about, what parenting should be all about. So really on this, since 1993 and more recently since 1999, I've been on this journey to make a difference going forward in terms of children, citizenship, communities, and parenting. Wow, that's, that's a really big way to put it. And especially coming from... Um, a community and looking at the community perspective and what was missing in the community. It's so good to have someone who is interested in sort of bettering 
everyone else um, just to be better citizens and to be better part of the community as well. Yeah, I after after Columbine, I wrote over 160 articles for the local newspaper about what each of us could do to make a, a positive difference, and it was, you know, it was good for me because it was essentially telling me what I should be doing. So it was a very positive experience, and that really got me going in terms of how can I communicate that information rather than just thinking it myself. How can I impart that with others to make a broader difference? in the community, not just my local community, but even beyond that. Well, you've reached us all the way over here, so that's a very positive positive outlook. Um, so just to get us started, before we, um, we like to do a little icebreaker just to get to know you a bit more instead of just asking questions back and forth. So um, when I sort of say these kind of phrases, just sort of come in the first word that comes into mind or the first First thing that comes into mind when you hear it. Uh, so the first one is book. I think the most recent book that I've read that te- that's been the most impactful is Barack Obama's uh, autobiography. Uh, mm-hmm. It's called The Promised Land. Um, and I really enjoyed that. It was a, a long book. I listened to it on audiobook, and it was 22 hours but I was enthralled the whole time and, and can't, it goes until about the middle of his presidency. So I'm really excited about hearing the second half of, of his, uh, his next journey in terms of his autobiography. So I'd have to say Barack Obama's autobiography. Second to that would probably be his wife, Michelle's autobiography, uh, because I really, uh, really look up to those two individuals. Yeah, I've read Michelle's one. I I've bought Barack Obama's one, but I haven't read it yet. So it's definitely on my list to list to read now. Um, how about movie? I'm I'm a movie fanatic, um, and um, though I must admit, COVID sort of slowed that down. Um, but one of my all-time favorites is A Field of Dreams, um, about this young this man that uh, heard heard these voices that he needed to tear down his cornfield and build a baseball field uh, and that he would come if he did that. And it turns out it was his father uh, and it's this fantasy, but it really struck home with me because it has the whole issue of his father coming back and him playing catch in the baseball field is is very much a journey that I had. My father died early. Uh, There were lots of problems with my father he had alcoholism. He died with cancer. So uh, there were some very incomplete pieces of my life uh, from with my father. So the movies struck a, a struck a real chord, and it, uh, because of that, actually, our family went and visited the movie site uh, at one point. Uh, it was it was so impactful. Wow, that's pretty incredible to have that kind of an impact from a film and. Yeah, somehow films do that with everyone, I think, in a way. Just sort of hit someone really well. Um, How about podcasts? I'm not a big podcaster, but I must admit the biggest podcast I listen to now is a local one here in the state of South Carolina. It's called the Murdoch Murders Podcast. Um, And it's about this uh, disgraced lawyer. It's a true story. Uh, It's about this disgraced lawyer 
who now is accused of killing his wife and son, uh, but also all his financial uh, shenanigans where he's essentially embezzled over $8 million from some of his clients over the years. Uh, and the reason it's so fascinating is not just the, the, the malfeasance of the ban, but the fact that our legal system let him get so far. Uh, and it shows some un, either some underlying corruption in our l- local legal system here or just some turning a blind eye to what should be done. Yep. No, podcasts are are really amazing, especially crime and crime and mystery podcasts are pretty incredible with that. Yeah. Um, how about a course that you've completed? Well, probably the most the most it, you know, I'm so old it's hard to remember all those early courses, but <laughs> probably the most recent one is a course I took on conscious leadership and and we'll be talking about that because that was sort of the role model for me in terms of developing conscious parenting. Um, mm-hmm. In that course, they talked about there was a line and when you were, a, and you wanted to be a conscious leader, you wanted to be aware of what was happening. Uh, and if there's a line and when you're above the line, you're open, you're receptive, you're ready to learn. When you're below the line, you're closed, you're defensive, you're always right. And we've all been in that three o'clock meeting where we're rolling our eyes saying, oh, talking silently to ourselves, when is this thing going to be over? Um, And so hopefully what we recognize is we're below the line and we can choose to stay there until four o'clock comes and we can leave or we can try to alter our behavior accordingly in terms of being more present, listening and actually engaged. So that conscious leadership course late in my career was uh, very impactful. Wow. So that also ties in with um, famous role model as well. Uh, yeah. Well, famous role models, I'll have to say, is uh, Barack Obama. The, um, <laughs> the, uh, and I just read a book by his, um, the woman who was his UN ambassador during, the sec- during his second term. And she had a great quote from Barack Obama because she was complaining about not enough was getting done. And he said, you know, Better is good, and better is a lot harder than worse. Meaning that we can always do, it's always good to do better. We're not going to get the best, but it's always good to do better. And that's going to create more work than doing nothing and getting worse. So I love that. Better is good, and better is worse than nothing. That's that's an amazing terminology and way of thinking as well to get through to get through whatever thing you're thinking. Um, so today we've brought you on to talk about mindful parenting. Um, to get us started, do you, I know that everyone has their definition of parenting, but to you, do you have a specific definition that you love to lead on with? Um, I think I, I, mindful parenting and conscious parenting are synonymous to me. Um, and I think parenting should be a conscious awareness of a parent's interactions with their child and an understanding of the developmental stages of their child to maximize positive responses and to minimize negative responses. So that's a mouthful of a definition, but that's what I'm, that's what I use and I'm sticking with it. 
No, that's that's a great that's a great definition actually. Um, so, what do you think expectant parents need to be aware of in their transition to parenthood? Well, that, that's an interesting question because I think um, I mean that transition. Hopefully, there was actually some intent in terms of the conception, but we know that a good number of pregnancies are unintended. Um, mm-hmm. But once one finds out they're uh, pregnant, uh, they take the appropriate steps in terms of nutrition, uh, health, uh, exercise, uh, and trying to make sure they're pre- they're prepared, especially if it's uh, especially if it's new parents. Uh, there are some things we want parents to take because we know, mothers, we know that they can help prevent certain birth defects. So there's certain things we want to be sure people get to their doctor, get the appropriate care from their doctor, that the good signs are looked for, the potential trouble signs are looked for. But then maybe to get more directly to your question, how do they prepare for when, boom, all of a sudden there's a baby in in their midst? Um, I think there are, there's a, there's a lot to that. Uh, Some of it is reading. Some of it is, is uh, sort of family folklore. Um, And that can be good and bad (laughs) Uh, in terms of what grandma will tell you that she did and what you should be doing. Um, But then, but then also using the professionals around them, their OBGYN, and they certainly can, uh, during my practice, families oftentimes came to me, even when they hadn't had the baby yet, just for pediatric advice, what they needed to be on the lookout for. Reading is helpful, so you understand some of the aspects, but the important thing is just to understand there will be these significant hills and valleys. Uh, there'll be this exhilaration of just bringing this new life into this world. There'll be the discomfort associated with that from the, on the mother's side uh, in terms of bringing this new life into this world. And that might be associated with breastfeeding, might be with natural childbirth, might be with C-section. So they need to know what their supports will be going forward and how they can access them. And so they can try to be as prepared as they can. But again, there are real hills and valleys for this. And, you know, we know one of the big problems oftentimes mothers face is postpartum depression. Uh, So we want them to be aware of that this is not a fault of theirs, that they're having these postpartum blues or depression. But this is something that's real. And we're here to help. Always ask for help. No, I think that's really good. And it's it's amazing how everyone sort of goes through the different phases and the different steps um, in their own way, especially when it comes to not even during the pregnancy, but after the pregnancy as well. Like there is such a, I don't think a lot of people talk about what to expect in the transition afterwards. Like not just, okay, you have a baby, but it's also you still have to take care of yourself and learn how to take care of yourself as well. And that's something that um, I know I mean, from my friends having kids, there's definitely not something that they like to discuss or they talk about or 
they don't know how to ask anyone else as well. So it's it's good that that's starting to be something that people talk about more often. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Especially if there's, I mean, how much time are the parents going to be able to have off? How much time is mother going to have off, father have off? Are they going to have to go back to work? If they go back to work, childcare. I mean, there's all those things. And, you know, and even if you think you have, if you're the perfectly compulsive person and have everything lined up, some some curveball will hit you along the way. So you just have to be prepared to, you know, go with the flow in some ways. And when that doesn't work, just be be prepared for, to have the proper support systems out there for you because nothing will go according to plan. That's true. Um, so I know you talked about mindful parenting and conful, uh, conscious parenting sort of being synonymously. How would you specifically define them? And is there actually a way to sort of separate them? Um, I, I would think to my mind, they're the same. Um, and um, again, that a conscious awareness of where the parent is and where the child is to maximize positive responses and minimize negative responses. Now, to do that, um, I was emphasizing sort of what was talked about in that conscious leadership course with the line. And I came up with what's called the parental awareness threshold. When you're above that, you're open, you're receptive, you're ready to learn, you're ready to engage, you're ready to listen. When you're below that, you're closed, you're defensive, you're always right because I said so, because I'm the parent. Um, and so you, conscious parenting is just trying, or mindful parenting, is just trying to understand where you are. We're human. We're going to be above that threshold or that line, we're going to be below that at times. And so it's just understanding, ooh, that didn't go well. How can I change my responses in the moment or later? So, for example, if in terms of if something doesn't go, if something happens and all of a sudden you're confronted with a situation with your child, say your four-year-old won't eat their vegetables, um, you can sit there and yell at your four-year-old to tell them to eat their vegetables because, and they're not leaving the table until they eat their vegetables, especially their broccoli, uh, and no dessert, and you'll go right to bed. Or you can take a more adaptive response that hopefully is better. So you can, is what you're doing is you're looking at what's happening. Your pause, you assess you choose. So if you're having a struggle with the, with the vegetables, you need to pause. That internal voice says, this isn't going well. What do I need to do? You need to assess the situation. Now, is it worth having a knockdown, drag out fight over vegetables with the four-year-old? I would contend no. It's, it's, better, it's better to come up with some, something else to how to do this. Yeah. Um, and each situation, each family is a little different. So you pause, you assess, and then you choose a response. If you choose the right response and everything goes well, great. If you choose the wrong response and things go down the tubes, then hopefully what you've done, hopefully what you will do is in retrospect, you'll say, that didn't go well. What can I do going forward when this situation comes up again? So it's, 
it's almost everything one deals with in parenting, <clears throat> I think, should be in a, a pause, assess, and choose situation. There will be some knee-jerk things along the way. If you're holding your child's hand and they run out into the street, well, that's not a pause, assess, and choose. That's a get them out of a life-threatening situation. And so I understand that. But most of the other time, you pause and you assess and you can choose uh, and then try to engage uh, in the most appropriate way. No, that's that's pretty amazing. Um, I think it's definitely having a, you know, knowing what you're wanting to do and what you want to achieve is like, and how you get there is probably, that's how I've sort of seen just being mindful as like just the word mindful as as alone, just having that understanding like this is what I want to achieve in the end. This is how I need to get there from A to B, not and deciding how I want to feel or how I want the process to go to get to that, to finish that situation. That's sort of how I've defined mindful over the years. I, I would agree. I think part of that, though, is especially in terms of parenting, I think there's sort of three things that we need to be looking at. One is we need to be willing to be a, a lifelong learner. If we ever mm -hmm. think we have parenting down pat, we're not paying attention because uh, we never have anything down pat or we're always learning. We need to try to understand more what's going on. Uh, and we need to be willing to alter our responses accordingly. As we learn, as we understand, we need to alter some responses and not alter some responses. I mean, one of the tough things about parenting is sometimes making those tough choices, not changing to the whim of, of the situation. So each time is different, but there's being mindful, but then also being willing to What's it mean to be mindful? I can't just say, oh, I'm mindful. I have to do some things. I have to be willing to learn. I have to understand situations. I have to be willing to alter my responses uh, going forward. No, that's that's a really that's a really good point. Um, so in your book, I mean, congratulations on your book as well, by the way. Oh, thank on you. On your book being out. Yeah. Um, so in your book, Conscious Parenting, um, you bring up conscious awareness. So what exactly can you define that is and how does it relate to conscious parenting? Well, I think the conscious awareness is just knowing uh, sort of that pause, assess, and choose is where you are in terms of that parental awareness threshold. Am I above the parental awareness threshold? Am I open? Am I receptive? Am I ready to learn? Am I engaged with my child? Am I really listening or am I looking at my phone, looking at the TV, writing something and just saying, uh-huh. That's, that's knowing where you are as being conscious of the situation and knowing if you're below the line to try to make a change. But it's also really important that you be conscious of your child's developmental status. You know, children change. What you expect out of a two-year-old is very different than a four-year-old, six-year-old, eight-year-old, 10-year-old. So parents need to understand that. I mean, 
an example, you know, the four-year-old whacks the two-year-old and the mother says to the four-year-old, tell your sister you're sorry. He says, I'm sorry. Um, and, you know, for him, that's, a, that's, that's forgiveness. Well, that's not what I would expect out of a 14-year-old or a 24-year-old. So there's developmental stages that we need to be aware of that not just for ourselves, but for our children. So in other words of saying that, it's sort of like you have to be aware that your parenting method has to change each and every time. Well, I don't think it has to change each time. Uh, I think it needs to evolve. Um, okay. I think because uh, I don't. I would hate to think that there's drastic steps along the way. I would think it would e- would evolve, um, mm-hmm. and we can talk about it now, or we can. There uh, to me, there's. I. In my early work, I elucidated what are called five steps to community improvement, and those are sort of the steps that I think go along with conscious parenting or mindful parenting. Can you um, talk about some of those steps that you that you've listed out? Five steps, and I'll go through all five and then go back. Learn to be the best parent you could be. Get involved. Stay involved. Love for others and forgiveness. Because I think the, once I started working on those in the in the early two thousands then I realized that's sort of what I'm talking about in terms of what parenting should be. Learn to be the best parent you can be. Parenting is a constant learning experience. And to be the best parent you can be. Not everyone has the same circumstances. Not everyone has the same ability. Not everyone has the same socioeconomic status. Uh, Single parent families, uh, families where there's a lot of ill health, there's lots of situations that challenge parenting. So my job as a professional was to help enable them to be the best parent they could be. And I wanted them to be constantly learning. Now, I have to admit, early in my career, as, a, as an early pediatrician, people would come to me and I, of course, I knew everything because I'd read the books and because I'd had training. So they'd ask me a question, what do I do here, doc? And I would tell them. Well, 40 years later, I realized that wasn't as easy (laughs) as it it is. My job was to help empower them in a trusted relationship to help gently peer behind the curtain and see what the situation was and how I can help enable them, how I can help empower them, not just tell them how to be the best parent they could be. Number two, stay involved. I think it's very important for parents to get, excuse me, get involved. It's very important for parents to get involved in a variety of activities out of the home, if at all possible. And I, there's just so many things that are out there, going to a soup kitchen, running a scout troop, uh, working in your church, doing litter cleanup. There's so, so many things that one can do to be a positive example in your community. It's important that children see their parents involved and hopefully the children and the parents get in, stay in, get involved. Number three was stay involved, which might sound very much like get involved, but I think it's really hard to sustain involvement. Sometimes it's easy to jump in and do something and then to sustain involvement is really difficult. Uh, number four was uh, love for others. Seems like it should be the most intuitive. 
But in, in our society here in the United States, it seems to be in, in a, such a divisive political society, it seems to be so difficult. We just shout past each other um, and we won't listen. Um, Abraham Lincoln told us after the Civil War, with malice toward none, with charity for all, uh, we, don't seem to, we seem to have a very difficult time practicing that. And then the fifth step was forgiveness. I think it's so important that we understand how forgiveness becomes a part of the parenting journey. Uh, we want to forgive ourselves first. We want to forgive others and do it now. And I'll give you a quick example. My, when my son was youngest son was about seven or eight, he said something one night that made me very angry, and I yelled at him. He just turned into a puddle. My wife got mad at me for yelling, and we went into that family meltdown mode where nobody talks, just walks past each other for a couple hours. Mm -hmm. um, sure, it never happened in your house, but it's happened. It happened at ours. The um, and later that night, I said, laid down with my son as when it was bedtime. I said, "Son, I'm so sorry. I think you did something wrong." But Dad's response was so wrong, and I want to apologize. I don't want to ask for your forgiveness. And he said, "Dad, would you be quiet?" I said, why? He said, I hate it when you're nice. Um, so I think it's important that we understand personal forgiveness, family forgiveness, and even communal uh, social forgiveness. And those five steps, parenting, uh, getting involved, staying involved, love for others and forgiveness, really are a significant part to my mind now of conscious parenting and how we can make a difference going forward. Those five steps sound so simple when you put it in theory, when you sort of write it down, being like, okay, yeah, I'm going to get involved. I'm going to be forgiving. I'm going to stay involved. I'm going to be a good parent, be the best parent I can be. But when you list it out and you give an example and you give that description, it is a lot harder to sort of think about putting it into practice. Like, and I love that you've sort of separated the get involved and stay involved because you're in like in a, a lot of ways, you're right. You can get involved and just volunteer once and then, okay, that's my volunteer work for the rest of my life where it's like, okay, you have to keep going with it. It's not something that you can just do once and think that that's your, that's the result of, okay, that's my role model to my kids now. That's all I have to do. But it's so much it's so much bigger than that and it's it's amazing that you've listed out and made it seem a lot more work than i thought when you said it one by one well and to me that if you put all those together what we're talking about is raising our children to be good citizens mm -hmm. um, and that was my, that was essentially the title of my first book my children's children raising young citizens in the age of columbine and so I think to jump ahead then, I think the role of conscious parenting is to raise your children to be good citizens. Oftentimes we say, and we, all, we have all done this, uh, I remember when my parents divorced, my mother saying, Bob, I just want you to be happy. I just want you to be happy. I know this has been difficult with the divorce and everything else. Um, Fortunately for me, I did not follow her words. Her words, I followed her actions, and she was one of these people who was very empathetic, took care of other people, and understood her role was to be a good citizen. Um, 
I think happiness is a blissful secondary side effect of being a good citizen. And so that's what I'm trying to emphasize in my conscious parenting is I want people to be thinking about, okay, what can I do in, in my, this direct relationship, <clears throat> but how can this spill over out of our, the walls of our house into when this young child becomes an adult uh, and is an extension of me in some way, shape, or form? How can I guarantee, there's no guarantees, but how can I do the best I can to try to make them the best citizen they can be? To do that, I have to be the best citizen I can be. Mm-hmm. That's that's very true. What kind of effect do you think being conscious and being present has on the parenting practices in the child's point of view? Well, I think it's crucial. One of the things we're finding out now in early uh, the neurobiology of the developing child is that early childhood adverse experiences can certainly affect the developing brain. So any way we can minimize those uh, and, and maximize positive responses, we are, take, we are essentially helping the neurobiology of the developing brain. And one of the major things we found, and even, even in children that say are separated at birth, uh, parents are, are essentially unfit to raise the child because of some circumstances and the child gets into foster care and other things like that, which we know has, does have some significant potentially negative effects. One of the things we're finding is safe, stable, nurturing relationships are critical anywhere along the line and everywhere along the line. What I call SSNRs. Um, here in the United States, we have a lot of adults that are on antidepressive medicine that are called SSRIs. I think the the, uh, the 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 cure for children is SSNRs, safe, stable, nurturing relationships. And even children that are exposed to so many different adverse effects early on, it the book is not permanently etched in concrete. Safe, stable, nurturing relationships in a loving, caring relationship can tend to change the trajectory going going forward. So I think, you know, being mindful, trying to understand, trying to be as empathic, trying to make the right decision when you make the wrong decision, reflecting, saying, okay, I was below the I was below the threshold. How can I pause, assess, and choose better next time? It, it's a struggle. I mean it's hard. And 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 I don't mean to to make it sound easy, uh, because it's not. I mean, you know, we all have our own struggles. Um, sometimes it, sometimes there's a strain in a relationship between husband and wife or between partners. Um, and sometimes there's strain in a family, in families. So I think we, you need all the resources you can be it from a trusted, be it from your spouse, a trusted friend, a, a pastor, you know, your medical professional, uh, your best, you know, just your best friend, um, your grandmother, anybody you know and trust, you should rely on them and and have them help you. They won't have all the answers because they're going to be looking at it 
from their perspective with their bias, with their filter. But it's so important to have help uh, and security along the way. No, I think that's definitely true. Um, okay, so with we're talking about child's development and how it's so crucial for their development as well. How is it beneficial for a parent? Well, you know, I mean, parents need to really know what is sort of typical child development. Um, and some of that is what you were talking about, the question you asked earlier, you know, what can expected parents be on the lookout for? Some of that is trying to understand what typical developmental progress is um, so they can be on the lookout for uh, normal motor development, normal what we call gross motor development, crawling, rolling over, doing all those things, fine, fine motor development, speech, language, hearing language, processing language. So it's important that they be on the lookout for that. But then they also need to understand sort of the, the social emotional uh, developmental stages. I mean, there was a great study, uh, and I'm not going to quote it specific, not going to quote it correctly, I'm sure, where somebody, they had asked a mother to engage in what they call a serve and return with her child. Her child was sitting in a seated in a high chair, and mom was going ooh ah ee ah, and the child was just ooing and on. And then they asked mother to just be stone faced, and the child all of a sudden started, and the child just started crying. So it's important that we understand the social emotional things. That it's not just oh they're walking now, but how are we responding? How are we a part of their their life. And sometimes, you know, we can't be ooing and aahing 24 hours a day, uh, but we, we need to be sure we uh, are setting things up appropriately. We're not just putting them in a high chair somewhere and then running around doing all our chores. You, you have to uh, try to arrange things as best you can. And again, oh, if you're a single, if you're a single mom, that's easy for me to say. I mean, you you know, you're you might be trying to have a job. You might have other children, child in a high chair, and you're trying to uh, clean house. You're trying to even go to the bathroom yourself. All those things that we that sometimes we take for granted. So I know it's hard. It just that's where sometimes a, a trusted professional or friend can help you see beyond what looks like a doomed situation. Um. So in your book, Conscious Parenting, again, you discuss important qualities for conscious parenting that parents should be aware of. Um, what other qualities do you think that are very important for parents to have? Well, I have a list here. And let me, let me go through it because I think it's important. We talked about learning, understanding, and altering responses. Um, and I think you uh, to, sort of the basic then is to accept instruction. Uh, you have to be actively engaged and you have to be continually involved. So, but then sort of the parental, tra there's parental traits and citizenship traits that I think are so important. And these are arbitrarily separated because they're, they're, they go together. Uh, parental traits 
for me are patience, persistence, optimism, the ability to change, the ability not to change, as I mentioned earlier, uh, sustained involvement and the ability to have rational discourse. A lot of that is due to forgiveness. If we cannot have a rational discourse, we're in, we're in big trouble. The citizenship abilities that are needed for parenting are empathy, humility, sincerity, vulnerability, uh, love for others, and forgiveness. I think if one is sincere, if one is humble and willing to be vulnerable, they can do great things going forward uh, and exercise empathy because that's one of the things we've lost track of, I think, in our society here in the United States is, is the citizenship. Citizens care about each other, about each other. Citizens care for each other um, and citizens take care of each other. Uh, and that's so important. Now, some families might not even have the ability to take care of themselves, so that's why it takes a village uh, to raise a child uh, and to work together. Yes. Um, so how, talking about the qualities that are needed, how do you let go some, because we learn from our parents, basically. So how do we sort of let go some of the qualities that we don't want in our parenting techniques? I'm sorry, repeat that again. So basically like we learn from our parents, like generational, okay. from generation to generation. There are some qualities that our parents from previous generations or our grandparents that are sort of embedded in us that we don't want to pass on to our children. How do you let go and separate those from the qualities that you do want? That's a, that's a great question because <laughs> you, you, obviously we, we're, we're, more, we're more likely to pick up a lot of the traits that our parents used to, to raise us. Um, yep. And as you, as you get older, and certainly as I get older, I've made comments, oh my gosh, I'm sounding like my mother uh, <laughs> uh, or, or my father. Um, but I think that's where the the willingness to learn, uh, the willingness to read, the willingness to list, listen to medical professionals. And when there's a conflict, when you say, oh, my mother used to do this, but this doesn't make sense in terms of what the pediatrician is telling me. What, what do you think I should be doing? I think uh, that's where the trusted professional comes in. Now, it's sometimes very difficult because the, the grandparents or the will or the the, you know, the aunt who's, who's strong in the family will say, you know, this is what we did and you turned out fine. I don't know why the doctor, I don't know why the doctor is telling you that. I think it's very important that you try to be willing to learn and understand and alter your responses. So it, it's an openness. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, let me, uh, one example of that is, um, is the whole example of discipline versus punishment. Some families will say, you know, my daddy, when I was wrong, he gave me a good whooping and it taught me a lesson. Pediatricians currently don't like that to hear that uh, because we don't want to see children uh, the object of physical uh, punishment. 
Um, and people say, might say, why? Well, I learned a good lesson. Well, we do know that children that are exposed to physical punishment are much more likely to do the same when they get older. And the example I use there is not everyone that smokes gets lung cancer, but it sure increases your risk. Not everyone that gets physically punished turns into an abuser, but it certainly increases your risk. And there's much too much physical um, expression of anger in our society anyway. So we want to diminish physical punishment. And I think discipline should be the word we're looking for. Uh, remember, the root word for discipline is disciple, which means to teach. So any behavior issue we're dealing with our children, we want to make it a teaching experience, um, not a punishment experience. And again, that's ideal. I mean, we've all had to drag a screaming child out of a certain situation and try to figure out how we, one, how we got into the situation and how we can avoid it. Um, and that's the that's the whole process of parenting, is being consciously aware of what you've done and how can I do better going forward. Mm -hmm. So other than, other than those kind of obstacles, what are some more common challenges that parents face when sort of implementing conscious parenting? Well, I think, I think it's, it's, it's society, it's social media. Uh, it's uh, it's t television. It's uh, uh, movies. It's it's all of the things that are out there. So parents need to be very aware of those aspects and and how they can have a. Um, I mean, they're they're a, a part of our lives. There's no denying it. And we're not gonna we're not gonna turn off the TV. We're not gonna turn off the internet and live in a cave until they until they're ready to go. Uh, till they become 21. Uh, so we have to use it in a positive way. So in terms of social media and some of the things, parents need to be that positive example. So when it's dinner time, you put away all the electronics. You engage in what's this thing called conversation uh, with without someone looking at their phone. Um, and as children get older into their teen years, you talk about social media much like other things we do. We talk when we, when the children come older, we don't want them to, uh, and they learn how to drive. We go through a lot of effort to teach them how to be good drivers and to make sure they use proper things. Uh, we try to make sure they don't smoke. Uh, and we try to have that coming of age sex talk in terms of if you're going to do this, this is the, this is the situation, what, uh, what you, should avoid and what you need to be careful of. So I think we need to put social media up there on that same pedestal uh, as uh, learning how to drive uh, and the sex talk as we get older. Uh, and a lot of parents don't do a very good job with it. I mean, I, you know, it's not unusual for my wife and I get to go out to eat and us to look around at people in the, in the restaurant. You know, in 90% of the tables, everyone's looking at their individual phone. Um, and uh, that's really discouraging. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And I definitely think that it has such a huge impact on the relationship between the parent and the child, with how much internet use is used. And I've definitely seen it happen. I mean, it's it's happening with a lot of my friends and their kids. Just throw the iPad at them, and 
while they're eating just to make them not scream while they're having lunch or something like that. But it does definitely implement um, a huge lack of boundaries in my in my experience. And yeah, so how how would you sort of set the boundary and implement some sort of restriction? Um, the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends, which is the pediatric organization here in the United States, uh, recommends no more than two hours of screen time a day. That does not include computers or that, excuse me, that does not include homework. So if a child's in front of a computer during homework, that uh, that's not in that two hours. Um, and, but no screen time before two years of age. Uh, so that would be uh, iPads, uh, computers, uh, and TVs. Um, that's tough. I mean, did I do it? No, I didn't. I mean, you know, I turned, I turned Sesame street on, but I turned Sesame street on, um, and, uh, tried to make it educational and tried to be there instead of just drop my, plop my children in front of the TV, uh, and then go about my business. Um, but again, uh, every family has unique circumstances and it's, so it's difficult, but they have to, the whole point is just being mindful of it. And, and at the end of the day saying, you know, boy, Johnny was such a good little boy. Was that because I sat him in front of the TV for three hours or was it because I engaged in, in, uh, in mindful play with him for, for two hours and let him then watch some TV. So I think you, you have to understand where you are, and uh, that's where learning to be the best parent you can be comes in. Yep. No, definitely. Um, so now we sort of like to talk about a little segment for the practice and habits experiment. Um, so basically just nine questions on the practice that you do. Um, so what is the practice that you do to become mindful parents? Well, my children are now 42, excuse me, 44 and 32. Uh, but I'd like to think that I'm not, I'm still trying to be a mindful parent. Um, but I'm not as, obviously, because they're out of the house, uh, I'm not as engaged as I uh, would be when they were at home. But when they were growing up, uh, when I was home, I was trying to be totally engaged with them. Uh, and I must admit, at times, that was very difficult because I was working uh, sometimes 12 hour days as a pediatrician, but I wanted them to know that they were, uh, when I came home, that was first and foremost, they were first and foremost, uh, on my mind, uh, and try to under, understand that. Now, at the same time, I had a, I have a wife and I wanted to be sure that she was important. Um, so it's, it's a, it's a juggling act. You've got to be sure you're, uh, looking at both sides of this equation and trying to, uh, take care and nurture your wife, take care and nurture yourself and take care and nurture your children. So you have to be mindful of all of those. Um, and that, that varies from day to day. I mean, there's certain, there might be some days, some weeks where you just cannot do everything you want to do. So then that's the situation where that weekend you totally, you take the time and take your child somewhere and just have father-son time or mother-mother-son time or mother-daughter time or father-daughter time and just try to make sure you're there uh, and present. 
But even at those little times when there's, there's the usual hubbub of trying to get ready for school or get ready to go to work or other things like that, look at them, listen to them, um, be engaged. Um, don't just be looking at the, at the morning news when you're, when they're talking to you, uh, turn the morning news off, uh, and engage the child. And, and I'll be honest, I didn't always do right. I mean, I don't, I don't want to sit here and tout myself as the perfect parent. I have, I have goofed up enough, uh, but I'm, I'm learning how to try to tell parents how to be more impactful and more mindful going forward. How important is it to set time to be, to be present with your children? Oh, I think it's very important. And one of the, one of the really important times is, is bedtime. Uh, cause I think you want to try to, um, have a, have a significant routine, uh, until they become independent in terms of their bathing. Um, uh, but when it's, you know, there's the bath depends on what, how you do this, uh, bath, brush and book, uh, you know, there's the bath, uh, there's the brushing the teeth and there's reading the book and whatever sequence you in. But those are, those are incredibly important, important times. Uh, and those can be also be very frustrating times. A lot of families will say, you know, I want, I try to get Sally to bed by eight 30, but it's always nine 30 and we're always yelling at each other. And what do I do? Well, the, so you need to be more mindful of what this routine is. When did you actually start that? If you want her to get to bed at eight 30, when did you start this? If you started at 815, you, you started too late. You need to start this whole process, maybe even at 730, maybe at 7, um, and learn how your child responds to things. I mean, I learned that if I wanted my child to do something by 830, and 830 was the absolute time, 815 to me was the time we were shooting for. And then we could have another five minutes, and then we could have another five minutes. Um but so you have to understand what you're asking the child of and what you're asking yourself of and try to be flexible, but then try to make sure those times that you set are so important. In the mornings, obviously, with your teenagers, it's important to try to uh, have certain times where they get up, get ready, and get down and have some breakfast uh, or, or wherever they are, get, get to the kitchen and have some breakfast before they head off to school. Mm -hmm. When do you think it's important for the child to sort of learn to be independent? Because you're talking about moving on to teenagers and you're not always going to have, they're not always going to follow a schedule because they're a bit more of their own person than they are when they're children. How do you get them to sort of be a bit more, okay, this is the time that I need to do things and mom's not going to do it or dad's not going to do it. So when is that age that you start teaching them about independence? Well, again, I would argue that it's, it's almost child and family dependent uh, because of this different situations and uh, within families and children and, uh, and learning abilities. Typically that's, you know, 11, 12, 13, when you start talking about those, those sorts of things. Some families, you know, some families, they say, well, my child was mature enough to do it at age nine. Uh, I worry about the child at age nine sort of 
being forced to be that independent. Um, mm -hmm. But if, if you know, if it's still 1415 uh, needs handholding, maybe that's a little too late. But again, it's very, de very dependent. And, you know, I think one of the things we're, t one of the things we're talking about here to today is we're talking about typical child development. There certainly are children that have intellectual disabilities or other things like that. And this yep. things might be very different than what we're, than what we're talking about. So flexibility and understanding about that is, can be key. Mm -hmm. No, definitely. Um, how do you think being present impacted impacts parenting and also the perception, a perception in life? I think, you know, the being present is then being that safe, stable, nurturing relationship. Uh, the child knows that the mother or father or both are there. So they're in a safe environment. They're stable and they're being nurtured uh, in the relationship. So those SSNRs that come from being present uh, are critical. Um Arguably, those are the same things that we should be doing as adults uh, with our relationships, um, that we should be present uh, with our friends, uh, with our uh, significant others, with other folks in our lives uh, as we go through things. And I would argue that I talked about pause, assess, and choose. Uh, that has come in very handy for me as an adult, uh, as I found myself in situations where, oh, this is not going well. This really irritates me. Okay, Bob, pause, assess, and choose what's the best response at this point in time, and we can see how we can move on. Um, so I think the, being present is critical almost at every stage in life. No, definitely. Um so thank you for asking, answering those. Um, now we're going to move on to some questions from audience members who I've posted some questions up and they're very, very interesting, actually. Um, so the first one is, are parenting skills an innate ability or must be developed intentionally? I don't think there's anything innate about them. Um, you know, you might argue, well, wait a minute, we're biologic beings, you know, people that are born out in the wild, they take care of the, but we've taken those boundaries out in our civilized society. Uh, we are not, we are, do not go out and collect our own food. Uh, we indeed uh, go to the grocery store or drive to the grocery store. So we're dependent on so much technology so that the the ability to lead a civilized life in our society now requires a significant interdependence. Um, and so I don't think there's anything innate that's with that. I think it's parenting is a constant learning experience. Um, there's, there's some maps and I'd like to think my conscious parenting book is a map. Uh, but just because you got on route, route one, doesn't mean that's going to get you to point B. You, there's going to be roadblocks. There's going to be detours uh, along the way. But no, I do not think it's innate. It's a it's a learned, constantly learned experience. And does it does it develop 
through time or does it sort of, is it as, as an ability that's sort of stagnant that you learn? Oh, you definitely learn it over time. And, and, but the, but I, I, if you, again, if you ever think you've got it whipped, I think you're just fooling yourself. Um, and I like to think when I tell my medical students and resident trainees that I used to have when, in our various medical encounters, if you're not humbled every hour in, in your work, you're not paying attention. I think the same thing happens in, in life and in parenting. If you're not humbled, you're not paying attention. When all of a sudden you go, wow, my child just said that or did that. I would never have thought of that. Uh, and maybe I'm, I'm doing things right, or maybe I'm doing things way wrong, and I need to alter my responses. So it's, it's, it's definitely constantly evolving. The next question is how to be a mindful parent to an adult child. Um, well, I've got two of those. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> the, um, that's, a, that's a good question. I find myself answering, asking myself that question. Am I being a mindful parent? Um, I want to be there when they need me. I want to uh, keep the proper distance uh, when they don't want me, but it's not A or B. Sometimes you've got to just gently peek in and say, you know, I, I'm worried about you. Can, is there anything you need or anything I can help you with? Uh, because they might not be wanting to acknowledge that they need help or, or, or that there's issues that they need help with. Uh, fortunately for me, uh, both of my sons uh, are, are pretty free to feel pretty free to reach out uh, to me. Uh, and that example was certainly present in my life with my mother, not my father. My father was out, wasn't in my life, uh, but definitely there for my, with my mother. Times when I wanted her advice, times when I didn't want her advice, times when I had to gently um, ask her not to give me her advice. Uh, and I've tried to listen to that in my own sons too. But uh, yes, you definitely, it's important to, to know, again, much like I, you have to know where your child is in terms of their development. I think you know, need to know where your adult child is in terms of their development. And even though they might not think they have any questions or concerns, it's, I think it's totally appropriate to say, you know, in my experience, sometimes people need this or need that or look out, search out for this or search out for that. And if you are, I'm glad to help with that. If not, then that's fine. So I think it's perfectly fine to put put yourself in their shoes and have them put themselves in your shoes, given your experience. For sure. Um, is it important to change the way we parent? If yes, where should we start? That's an emphatic yes. It is. Um, and, and again, it's it's to continue to evolve, uh, to continue to be responsive, to continue to be present, because things will change. Uh, and especially if we, uh, those of us that have been as teenagers ourselves, we know how difficult that is. Um, and then parenting teenagers, 
we know things will be up, up and down. So it's important that we evolve and, and change and, uh, and constantly be ready for those curveballs that are come. One of the things that's important in terms of parenting is to remember, and especially when it comes to teenagers, is the adult brain is really not significantly mature until age 25. Now, societies sort of let, say, well, at least in our society, kids can drive after 16, uh, and they can vote after 18, uh, and they can sometimes drink after 18 or drink after 21. Um, they're still not really developmentally mature, uh, but we, we mm -hmm. give them the freedoms to do that. So we, we have to recognize that sometimes th those freedoms are ill-fated, and we need to sort of be on the lookout for errors that will occur and to help them through those errors. I mean, I made errors certainly when I was those ages. Um, and, uh, and maybe in retrospect, I wish I'd listened to my mother more, but at the time I wasn't going to. Um, so, uh, it's just being there and being as present as you can be and not feeling rejected. A lot of parents will sometimes feel, you know, I'll try, but they just won't listen to me. And so to heck with it. Well, you just, that's not how, that's not how parenting is. You just can't uh, wipe them out of your life. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, okay. So next one is what can we expect to happen if we change our way of parenting and how do we know we're on the right track? <laughs> that's a, that's a, that's a good one. I think, um, you know, if we if we if our goal is to have our children be good citizens, some of that is to see what their citizenship qualities are. Are they getting Are they getting involved? Are they staying involved? Are they practicing love for others? Are they exercising forgiveness? And I think those can be sort of metrics for how we look at how our children are doing in a, in a measure of of our own parenting. Um, and if they aren't, then try to reassess and how we can uh, retool that process. But I think so. I, I I've never had that question asked before, but I like I like I like my answer. They, if you look at the metrics of are your children getting involved, staying involved, practicing love for others, empathy, and exercising forgiveness, I think those are great uh, tools. It has nothing to do with their to my mind, it has nothing to do with their grades, whether they got that, you know, college degree, that graduate degree, whether they're, you know, whether they're a uh, successful uh, carpenter or a successful professional. I just want them to be a good citizen, and then I think they can be happy. No, that's a that's a really good way of answering that. I'm surprised that you haven't had that one asked before. <laughs> Um, so what components compromise mindful parenting and how can I tell if my parents are mindful? What components compromise mindful parenting? Again, it's, it's being below the line. It's being defensive. It's being right. It's being because I said so. It's being because I'm the parent. Um, sometimes, rarely, those are correct responses, but usually... They, they don't do well in terms of promoting active engagement and growth for your child and for you as a parent. 
uh, it's trying to then say, oh, you know, yesterday, everything I did was defensive. Everything I did was below the line. Everything I did was because I said so. How can I change that? How can I try to, does, do I need to talk to somebody? Do I need to get professional help? Do I need to read somebody? How, do I need to get some support help? There's lots of different ways to try to look at that. But that's, I think the, op, the major obstacle is just being, knowing you're right, being defensive. But at the same time, I guess the more I think about it, if, you're, if you feel inadequate as a parent, uh, you're not defensive. You just feel overwhelmed. Uh, and so if, you're, if you feel emotionally overwhelmed and consumed, get help. It's so important. You're not crazy. E- everyone needs help at some point in their lives. No, true. That's definitely true. Um, so what are the prerequisites needed for an individual to become or be considered as a mindful parent? Well, I think we've talked about that because I like the, you know, uh, always be ready to learn, uh, getting involved, staying involved, uh, love for others, exercising forgiveness, uh, and then using those to be consciously aware of where you are in the relationship, knowing where your child is in terms of their developmental stages. And then each time, each time there's a behavioral situation, pausing, assessing, and choosing how we can do good. Uh, Let me use a a quick example. The um, mother picks up her 10-year-old from uh, school and the 10-year-old says, mom, I'm thirsty. She gets into the back seat because she's still supposed to be strapped in the back seat of the car. And so they go through the drive-in in a fast food and she gets a big 32-ounce uh, cup of soda. And she hands it back to her child and says, don't spill this. Uh, well, sure enough, a block later, uh, mom, I spilled it. Uh, and, you know, it's a, mom pulls over. All right, I told you not to spill it. Well, if you can pause, assess, and choose, there might be an alternative explanation here. Mom uh, took that one turn too fast. The book bag knocked the drink, and the drink knocked overall over the back seat. Plus, is it a wise thing to buy to to give a ten-year-old a thirty-two ounce cup of soda in the back seat of a moving car and expect them not to spill it? So, hopefully, if you can pause, assess and choose, you can sort of try to understand that didn't go well. Next time I'm going to, I'm going to do this. And so if, and if you did yell at the child and you made that mistake, hopefully, if not right then later, you can say, you know, I'm so sorry. What I did was, what I did was wrong. Um, and uh, please accept uh, my apology. I think forgiveness is an incredible tool in parenting as in any relationship uh, and it's underutilized. Mm-hmm. No, true. And uh, we've got a very last one. So my child is in her uh, newly 20s and she's just in her still studying, but how do you get her to take a little bit more responsibility around the house? <laughs> Um, well, I mean, there are some, it's, it, you know, it's reasonable, uh, 
and it, assuming she's of uh, normal intellectual abilities uh, or typical intellectual abilities, it, it's reasonable to expect a 20-year-old to have some responsibilities if they're living at the house and studying uh, and not paying rent. Uh, if they're if they're not paying rent, this is what this is what I would expect. If you were on your own, you'd be paying rent. And you'd be doing these things. Since you're not paying rent, these are the expectations for being here. We're not going to get into a shouting match, but this is the these are the expectations uh, that I want you to succeed in your studies. But there are some reasonable expectations that we that we can assume that you will do. I, I have done for you, and it's reasonable for you to do for me. Mm-hmm. Related to that, um, one of the one of the things I said you never you never stop becoming a parent. It it, bec- it became obvious to me. Both of my parents have, are deceased, but later in life, as my mother was getting older, I became her parent. Uh, so you are a parent for children as they're growing old, as they're coming up, when they get into adulthood, and then you are still a parent, then you become a parent for your parents. Uh, So learn the lessons well. Pay attention uh, to what's going on. Yep, no, definitely. I think that's that's a really good final answer. Um, So during this last session, section, we'd love to give you a chance to talk about something that you're passionate about, um, doesn't have to be related to the topic. It can just be something that you are working on currently or something that you'd love the audience to know. So, yep, I'll hand it over to you. Well, thank you. Um, you know, most of, the t- most of the major work I've done has sort of come in lightning bolts <laughs> to me. I mean, the... the uh, I am the problem. I am the solution. I'm the resource came in a lightning bolt to me in 1993. The Columbine massacre opened up my eyes to different things. And I started doing, opened up more and more in terms of what was happening. And so I'd finished my first book, my children's book, a second, a third book that was co-authored in my, in my conscious parenting book. When all of a sudden I was at a talk with uh, John Kerry, who ran for president here in the United States. And I realized what he was saying. The title of his book was Every Day is Extra. He was talking about his experience in the Vietnam War uh, and surviving the Vietnam War and our current political environment in the the United States, which was 2018. Uh, And after I heard his talk, I stayed up all night trying to think what really matters. Um, and I came up with six things, and I'm, I'm sure people would argue with this, but those are my, these are my six things, and I'm sticking with it. Um, and, and this is my current writing project with somebody else. What really matters, six things. Truth, we always have to be telling the truth. Trust, trust is based on truth-telling. Science, science is so critical everything we do in terms of our health. It got us through the, the uh, COVID pandemic. Um, civility. Uh, if we can't engage in civil discourse with each other, which eth- which eth- with each other, we have no hope for having a civil society. Diversity. Uh, 
We want to be sure that we understand and appreciate the diversity of our society and all the various ethnicities that are here. And then faith. Uh, faith doesn't necessarily have to be a specific religion or even a, a faith in a specific religion, just faith in humanity uh, that we can get along and take care of each other. And so I'm trying to, I'm writing a book that's about two thirds done, um, and having chapters on each of those, and then trying to figure out how to intertwine those uh, and be an example of things going forward in terms of what we can hopefully be a positive force for good and with the book and getting it out there. So truth, trust, science, civility, diversity, and faith. So those are those are six very, very interesting and very broad um, broad lists as well that can be literally turned into every individual person, which is pretty, which is pretty good, actually. Yeah. I mean, like, if, you know, you can look at how you can dissect each one, but how each one is intertwined, like science. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, science was, had enabled us to figure out about the COVID pandemic. Science enabled us to help get the vaccines. Uh, misinformation about scientists, science has been a disservice uh, to us. A lot of people, though, are fearful of science because it interferes with their faith. Um, and so how do, you know, and some people argue that faith and science are not antithetical, that they indeed go together. So it's, it's, a, it's been a fun experience for me to look at these six things that I think really matter and how to try to explain them. And whether this will just be a, a project uh, that we'll never get off the drawing board. Uh, but it, the one good thing is it's really, I think it's helped me be a better person. So it's great. No, that's great. You, you're following the lifelong learner um, point of view as well for yourself. So that's even better. Yes. Um, so thank you, Bob, for joining us on the episode today. It's been so insightful. It's been a joy having you on. Um learning a lot and especially the lifelong learner terminology which is something that we use as well on our in our company and follow along so it's really nice when I heard that when I heard you say that it was so comforting thank you this has been this has been so much fun for me I've really enjoyed it that's that's so great to hear um yeah so thank you for joining us and I just want to say if you want to find more on Bob, is there a way that um, any of our audience can get in touch with you or find you? Yes, I have a website at uh, www.mychildrenschildren.com. And there's a, a weekly blog I have on there. It has the books. There's a contact page if somebody wants to contact me. Be glad to put them on the mailing list to send the weekly blog. Um, so, mm -hmm. yes, glad glad to do that. That's perfect. I'll definitely link um, the link for the website will be down below or on the side, depending on where you're listening. Um, so you've been listening to our podcast today, uh, produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. More episodes like this from across 10 life management perspectives can be found by searching LMSL on Apple Podcasts, 
Google Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcasting apps available on your smartphone. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating below, uh, sharing it around, and subscribing to our channel as it helps other people find it and helps us grow and brings you a lot more quality resources and a lot more guests like Bob here today. Um, so more of our work can be found on our website where you can join our community of lifelong learners. I'm Dina and thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to Raising Parents, the Parenting Science Insights Podcast, produced by the Parenting Science Labs, a division of LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. More episodes are available from 10 Life Management Perspectives and can be found by searching LMSL on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcasting apps available on your smartphone. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, share, and subscribe to our channel that other people can find it and we can continue to provide quality content. More of our work can be found on our website at pa.lmsl.net where you can join our movement. I'm Dina Sargent and thanks for tuning in.